But those five moves, I tell people who have no time and I don't know what to do, those are the five moves where you start. Because again, they're multi-joint, they're compound moves, they call in a lot of muscle groups. Bonjour, friends, and welcome to Whole Body Optimism for Healthcare Professionals, the podcast that's all about embracing a modern approach to positivity, clean living, and personal growth. I'm Dr. Chrissy, and I'll be your guide on this journey to a happier, healthier, and more optimistic you. All right, we're going to get started here. We have Dr. Carrie Holland here today. She has so many titles and so impressiveness to her. I want to first start off by saying she is a family practitioner. She is a certified personal trainer. She is a life coach, and she's got lots of coaching experience and I'm so excited that she's here and I want everyone to be just getting up, clapping for her because this is going to be a really cool session today. So I'm excited that you're here, Carrie. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Thank you. That's awesome. So I want to first start off by asking you, a lot of us in this well-being space, clean living space, we've had a different role over the last few years than we did when we graduated medical school. So when you finish maybe medical school or training, how did you see yourself as a physician in practice compared to what you actually do now? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, Well, when I graduated medical school, which was in 2006, I had my eyes set on being a family physician because I did an internship with one with a family practitioner in Southern Illinois and saw what his life was. And I wanted that. He was essentially the Marcus Welby of the neighborhood. I mean, Mm -hmm. he did everything. He delivered the babies. He took care of the babies. He assisted in his own sections. He assisted in his patient's surgeries. He took care of the town fire department and the police officers. Like he did all of it. And I was like, oh, I want that to be me. And then I graduated and did residency and started practicing and realized that it just wasn't, that wasn't the finish line. So I ended up doing those things. I wasn't exactly the same. I was in a, a pretty urban area. I was just outside of Chicago. Still delivered babies, had the inpatient medicine, had outpatient, took care of the medical students and residents and did all of the things and thought, okay, well, this is this is what it's supposed to be. And I got there and I got the life that I thought I wanted and mm-hmm. then realized, oh God, this isn't what I wanted. And that was fairly early on in my practice. And I realized like that can be very unnerving when you've spent decades trying to get there and studying so hard and then getting there and realizing this isn't it. That was really, really frightening for me. But that's when I started doing some work and realizing that maybe this isn't the finish line after all. And in fact, maybe it's the start line. And that's Mm. when everything started changing for me. Wow. So tell me about what you thought about whenever, like, was there something um, like a moment or something that happened when you were practicing in this smaller town that actually made you say, okay, enough's enough. Like I got to do something different. Was there a certain moment? To be honest, I don't think there was an aha moment. There was a culmination of multiple things. And I think part of it was being a full-time physician, then getting married, then having a kid and thinking maybe we're going to have another one and realizing just how much time I was spending at the hospital and realizing like I was doing it and it was fine, but I just didn't love it. And I felt like, to be perfectly honest, I always felt like there was more that I was Mm. meant to do more, even though it took everything I had to become a physician. I always joke, I thought I fought the forces by becoming a physician because I was a French major in college and felt like that all came very (laughs) easily to me and medicine didn't, but I made it work and I, I got there. 
And then I realized there's more and always in the back of my mind, fitness and nutrition had been part of that. I mean, I prided myself on taking care of my body, taking care of my mind throughout medical school. We had a really great gym at Loyola, which is where I went to medical school. So I started working out there. I really loved it. I ran two marathons while I was in medical school. I really... That was what I went to. That was my space. That was almost like my therapy. And as I realized that medicine was not the end for me, and I started thinking what else, that's when fitness and nutrition really started to come into the picture. And I just wasn't sure how to transfer that into my next move. And so I had to play around a little bit. And that's sure. and that's what I and that's what I did. I played around with it. I mean, the first thing I did, When I was at the height of my professional burnout was I got a personal training certification, partly because I just like to lift weights and I, I wanted something else. I wanted something else to do besides seeing patients. So I got a personal training and we had long since moved from Chicago by then, but I got a personal training certification and started training people at the YMCA where I worked out myself. And it was funny because it was down the street from the clinic where I practiced. And so sometimes I'd see my patients there and they would do a double take because I'd be in my gym shorts showing somebody how to deadlift. (laughs) And they'd be like, wait a minute, is is that Dr. Holland? I'd be like waving like, yes, in fact, it is me. So that was what started it all um, was just this opportunity. Like, okay, I really like training. I really like strength training. I think it's so important for everybody to know how to do. I can help you do it properly. And it was an outlet for me to do something besides practicing medicine. So that's where it really all started. Well, and that's like just a key that I try to teach my clients and the residents that I work with is when you really enjoy doing something, when you find yourself having that moment where you're like, this is really fun. This is something that I can find so much joy out of. It's not something that I have to go through so much training to get to. This is something that you decided to add to your regimen that was such an increase in happiness and joy, it sounds like. And how much better of a trainer you are because you have all this medical background to bring to your clients and your the people you're working out with and training on on the floor. So I I just I, I love that and and it's I'm so like aw, like awestruck to see like you went for it. You pursued that thing that really made you happy. How much more are you giving your patients now? You know. So I should be clear, I don't I don't even see patients anymore because oh, I wow. I got busy enough. Well, you do in the gym. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But I got busy enough that now I coach full time. Wow. So the personal training was really the first stepping stone that led to where I am now. I did it because I wanted to do something different. I loved it and it was fun. It was like a hobby to me. And when I took that first step, more steps started revealing themselves. And so I did that and realized as I was talking them through deadlifts and squats and how do you bench press and all the exercises that will get you to a pull-up, then in between those, people would ask like, well, what am I, how do I eat? Like, how do I build some muscle here? Like, I want to, I don't want to just lift the weights. I want to look like I lift the weights. And those were questions that I was not fully equipped to answer. So I had gone through bodybuilding myself. I had competed in natural bodybuilding competitions and had been coached myself by coach, but I did not have those skills on my own. And so it wasn't until I started personal training that I realized that, okay, now there's this hole regarding nutrition that I need to go and fill. And so that's what led 
to the nutrition coaching certification. So I just like to study and take tests. So I just did that. So I went and got, <laughs> right? Like that's what we do as doctors. Yeah. Like we don't have the answer. We go study and we take a test. Exactly. But I did that very intentionally this time because I knew that my clients were asking, okay, I'm lifting the weights. How do I look like I lift the weights? How do I build muscle? Yeah. What, do, what do I need to do? So I learned that. But I also, learned, I mean, I learned a lot more than just how to build muscle. <laughs> I learned so much about nutrition that frankly, I should have learned in medical school and or residency, but we just didn't, right. we just didn't get that. Right. But again, it wasn't until I started training and taking action and doing something that I realized like, okay, now this is my next step. And I got the nutrition certification and started helping people with nutrition plans and like, okay, yeah, maybe you're not eating enough protein and yes, carbs still are important if you want to build muscle and being able to help them with that. So that was the next piece to the puzzle. But then I realized like I would talk through these things with people and they didn't do them. It was like, why aren't you, you know, we'd meet again. And I'd be like, okay, well, how's it going? And how's it going? Like meeting your protein goals. How are you doing in the gym in between our sessions? And people weren't doing it. And I was like, okay, what, what is it? Like, what is missing here? And at the same time, it was while I was going through some of my own personal stuff and came across life coaching and was like, oh, okay. And the more I was exposed to life coaching and realizing how our minds play such an instrumental role in any change that we want to make and in any transformation that we're looking to make, there was like, that was for me, the keystone that was, and there was no aha moment. It was just, again, a combination of me going through some of my own personal challenges, also sure. helping clients get through some of their challenges, understanding why they're not following through on the things they said they're going to do. And it all came together. And then once I got coached and got exposed to coaching, that was it. I was like, okay, I need to become a life coach. And so that's when I got certified as a coach and put all of the pieces together Wow. And that's when really everything just took off. And now, now I'm able to help my clients in a more holistic way because, I mean, everything I do yeah. is related to either eating, moving, or thinking. Most importantly, the thinking. And that's where we start mm. always because that's where it always starts from. They don't believe in themselves. There are all kinds of limiting beliefs that we had to address and totally. getting rid of perfection, not even getting rid of, dealing with perfectionism, mm -hmm. managing failure, mm -hmm. all of those things that they don't just happen by doing more deadlifts. They don't happen by doing more biceps curls. So that's where all of it came together. So now wow. I have the privilege of being able to help people do that. So it's interesting. You say a lot of people may be listening and they're like, yeah, like I've always wanted to work out more. I've always wanted to know how to eat better, but what you're saying is we really have to focus in on the mindset part and start there first before we can change our physical patterns, our physical habits of our practical implementations of things. Tell me about like what, where should they start outside of getting a, a coach, which I highly recommend everybody get a coach, but what are some things to maybe point them in the direction to know, hey, like it's my mindset that needs to change before I change the food I eat, the, the weights I lift. Sure. I mean, I think that's really it. I mean, again, if it was that easy, right? Like you could just <laughs> pick a diet, you could pick a diet book, follow it to a T or pick any workout True. plan, follow it to a T and meet your goals. And we all know that that doesn't work. And that's why there's the book section at Barnes and Noble is like miles <laughs> long. So yes, it really does start with our mindset. So how do you how do you work to change that? Yeah, I told I mean I totally agree with you. It's best done with somebody that can guide you through it. And I mean, I firmly believe in coaching because I learned this from Rob Dial, who is also a life coach who wrote a really fabulous book called Level Up, and he said 
And I would put this on a t-shirt because I really do feel that this is what coaching is. He said, you can't see the label when you're sitting in the jar. And I read that and I probably read it a thousand more times and really burned it into my brain because that's really what coaching is about. And I've lived it. I've gone through my own junk and it was so challenging for me to see what my own limiting beliefs were because I'm in it. And that's true for most of us. When we're in our own brains, it's very difficult to see outside of that. We have convinced ourselves that what we think and what we believe is the truth. It's fact, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And that's where somebody to help guide you see that can be so, so helpful. But recognizing that not everybody may have access or may be ready for a coach. My sure. next answer to that is, and I know this may be easy, but or maybe trite, but self-help books. I mean, I don't even know how many different self-help books I've read. And honestly, so much of the learning that I've done has come from, I would probably say the hundreds of books that I have read because sure. so many of them, I'll be honest, many of them have the same message, whether it's yes. Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass, right? Like yeah, the grammar is a little different, right? Fine. But the messages are so similar, but with any habit change, it's repetition. It's hearing that totally. message over and over and over again. And sometimes like even that message that I heard when I listened to Level Up, because I do all of it on Audible and listening. Right? Sure, same. I don't read, I fall asleep. I don't read books, I fall asleep to them. So instead now I just listen. <laughs> but I do believe that these books have so many good messages that we need to hear over and over and over again, because that's how our brains work. And sometimes that message will catch you at just the right time and mm -hmm. in just the right moment when it sinks into your core and can be transformational. Again, it's like that sentence that I heard about being in the jar. I don't know. I could have been like riding my bike and just like not even thinking and it would have passed right over me. But for whatever reason in that day, in that moment, I heard that message and it sunk into my bones. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think reading and absorbing as much information as possible is so essential. And not only that, but taking that information because there's consuming and then there's applying, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can consume and can consume and consume as much self-helpery as we want, right? Mm -hmm. But then the next piece to that and where the transformation is, is by doing something with it, right? And that's what I challenge anyone who reads the books or gets coached or does the work. That's it. You can consume and you can show up to your coaching sessions and you can read all of the books and take in all the information. But then the next task and where the transformation is, is implementing and applying it. And if you don't do that, nothing happens. So it doesn't matter in what format you get it, right? There has to be the consumption of it or the willingness to accept it. But then the second and most important piece is doing something with it and implementing it. Sure. So really, sure. It's, it's possible for anybody. Pick out a book, go to the library. You don't even have you don't have to have money. You have to have a, you can have a library card. Find sure. your book of choice, right? There are so many good books out there that are transformational that lead you through exercise. Everybody's got an attached PDF to their books now. You can go to right, their websites right. That's so and find true. all, there are so many different exercises that I found for myself and my own personal transformation just mm -hmm. from reading books. That's it. Same. It does not, it does not have to be complicated at all. I mean, and I, I mean, I joke, I mean, I think every single client I meet with walks away with like multiple, they don't leave a session with me without a book recommendation. <laughs> like that's just, now it's just a joke. It's just a running joke, but, but it's so true. Like, I love it. So, so anyway, so I, I truly believe that just reading and being willing to open your mind to what you hear in those books or read in those books and then applying it is just essential. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And you spoke about limiting beliefs. I'm curious to hear your opinion on you coach a lot of clients and you hear a lot of these limiting beliefs. Can you give our listeners maybe an example of one of these limiting beliefs that maybe they can identify with? 
Oh, yes. Here's the one that comes up probably the most often in relation to exercise. And it's something, I mean, I'm sure sure I don't have time to exercise Mm -hmm. all the time, right? Like, and people say that to me and probably to you too, as fact, like they're reporting the news. I don't have time to exercise. (laughs) And what I think people don't understand is that to them, again, to them sitting in their jar, they can't see that there's a different outcome and that there's a different possibility. And they take that to be the truth. But then what happens is that when you have that limiting belief of, I don't have time to exercise, that becomes your filter, right? Because what comes out of your mouth comes Mm -hmm. into your life Mm -hmm. and that's your filter. So that when you walk around with the belief that I am too busy, I do not have time to exercise, then you go and find all of the reasons that's true. I have to get my kids to this thing. I have a meeting that starts at this time. I have a case that starts at this time. I do not have time to exercise. And that becomes your worldview. But what if, what if you could be so bold as to say, I am busy, but I will make time to exercise. Again, Mm -hmm. there's your filter. I'm busy, but I will make time to exercise. And then that opens you up to what is possible rather than shutting the door, right? When we decide that there is no time to exercise, you shut the door on it. But if you decide, maybe I can find time to exercise, then you're opening the window. There's your crack. And that's all we need. We just need a crack Mm. for you to find 10, 15, whatever, maybe even five to start five minutes to do something, whether that you get up five minutes early and do a yoga routine or a stretch routine in the Mm -hmm. bathroom before you get in the shower, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be something to get the habit started, right? Wow. Yeah, it's really powerful. And I think a lot of people that don't exercise or don't have it in their regular routine of their daily lives think that, oh, I have to set aside like an hour a day. I can't do this an hour a day. Whenever it's so true is like just starting somewhere. Just Mm -hmm. starting with five minutes here, five minutes there. And what I teach a lot of my clients that I work with is you could spend five minutes in between going see consults or new patients, go up and down the stairs a couple of times, take that as an opportunity in the hospital to get in five, 10 minutes of exercise. The collectiveness of that exercise that you're doing on a day-to-day basis is really what matters more than having a whole extra hour set aside in your day that seems maybe intimidating to you to add to your schedule. Absolutely. Well, and I look at it in two sides. So I think of exercise and most habits was as a double-sided coin. And so there's the habit itself of exercising, right? Like doing the things, doing the squats, taking the stairs, whatever, running the miles, whatever it is. There's the habit itself, but then there's the habit of the habit, getting your workout gear on or turning on the radio or finding your workout, getting your water bottle, whatever it is, all of those pieces. And those are just as important as the habit itself. And it honestly doesn't matter if that's a five-minute workout or taking the stairs or doing some squats in between cases. The point is, is that you've got both pieces there. You have the habit itself, the exercise, which is a bonus, but then you have the habit of the habit itself. Mm. And that's reinforcing the identity. I am someone who gets her workout done, right? And that's really what this is about. It's about identity. It's about, I am somebody, I am a healthy person. What does a healthy person do? A healthy person gets her workout done. How does she do that? She goes through the steps of the habit of the habit, and then she gets the habit done. It doesn't matter how big it is, Mm. right? I love that. And that's something that even healthcare teams can listen to and really adapt as a team and as a unit. If you're working inpatient, if you're your whole team on that floor or your whole division, think about our trauma division or something. If our whole team were adapt that mindset of, yes, like we 
make this routine. We make an effort to put this into our daily routine. Maybe if it's, okay, we're going round on the seventh floor here, we're, we're going to make a routine that our residents, no matter which team is with us, they know we're taking the stairs. And if you make it something that is a culture, something that's in the walls of the institution, then everybody that's going to be on that team in the future is going to know this is a standard. Yeah, This is what we're doing for our well-being. And it's it's pro- propagating this culture of taking care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, I always ask this question to my listeners because we have a lot of listeners that have kids. How do you, and you're a mom yourself, and (laughs) I'm curious to know, how do you sort of get your kids excited about working out or using that as inspiration for them to say, okay, this is what mom does every day. This is what my role model does. How do you make that a habit for them? And how is that? Why is that important? I mean, I decided very early on that I wanted to model this behavior for my kids because, I mean, it's no secret that childhood obesity is a problem. And I want my kids to have every opportunity and not be limited by their physical body in any way. So it was really important to me that I model to them. You know, I had my, I was in medicine, so I had my kids a little older, fine, but (laughs) I didn't want that number to stop me. I didn't want that age to stop me. So I have made it a point to to model that to them. And they know that I get up at 4.45 every morning and get my workout in before they're even awake. They know that. And they have come downstairs and worked out with me before. They wow. they come downstairs and like hang on the TRX like it's a sling. Like they just like they'll come down and play. And and really, I don't mind that. I want them to consider it play. I mean, safely, of course, I'm not going to let sure, them like sure. injure themselves, but I want them to be exposed to that. I want them to see it as fun. And part of it comes from me. I don't, for me, I'm lucky. I love, I don't even know if I should say I'm lucky. I just love to work out. I love to move my body because it feels good. I don't see it as punishment. I don't see it as a means to an end. I don't see it as a way to lose weight. I see it as a way to take care of my brain and take care of my body. And that's what I want them to see. And so I'm very careful about the language that I choose. I will try my darndest to never say I have to work out because I don't feel that way. I get to work out and I love to work out because it makes me a better person for myself and then for them. And then as far as on a practical level, my goal was to expose them to as many things as possible so that they could choose what they wanted to do. I grew up, my parents didn't have any money. We didn't do anything. I was not exposed to any of this stuff. Like I didn't do any sports growing up. I fell into running because all I needed were shoes and I had that Mm -hmm. and that's all we could afford. Mm -hmm. So I started out running and I just happened to like it. And part of it was that it was an escape, but then it kind of snowballed from there and I got to try other things. Like I just learned how to swim two years ago because I wanted to do a triathlon and I modeled that to my kids. I stink at swimming. I still stink at swimming, (laughs) but I let them see me struggle because I didn't care. It didn't matter to me that I wasn't like at the top of my game and it didn't matter. I just wanted them to see like, Hey, your mom's trying something new. She's getting really uncomfortable, but she's going to go do it anyway because she committed to it. And it's the same for us. Like we let them try. If there's something they want to try they can try it. They're committed to it. We follow through. We finish it until the end of the session. If they don't like it, fine. We are not expecting that they become division one college athletes of any (laughs) sort. Not at all. We just want them to be exposed to different activities and find something that they love. We have tried everything. We have tried lacrosse. (laughs) We have tried gymnastics, swimming, 
basketball, football, I mean, you name it, we have tried it and we just let them keep trying until they find what really lights them up. Um, And most importantly, we want them to have fun. My husband and I have really made a commitment to make this fun. It's not about winning. It's not about being number one. We don't, it's not, I'm not that competitive. Like I just, I'm not that competitive. I don't care. I just want them to move their bodies and enjoy it. And I do, I think they've seen that from us. And I think now they're starting to, they're starting to do it themselves. They've done more triathlons than I have. And I think that's awesome because wow. they, asked, they they asked to do it that's uh, because so they, cool. and my hope is that it's because they've seen my husband and I do it and have fun doing it and enjoy it. And they're like, well, Hey, if they're having fun doing it, why can't I? So, so I really do think that it comes down to modeling that behavior and not forcing it upon them. Mm. And then also being very conscious of the language that I use around them, because I really want them to have a positive relationship with exercise because so many of the people that I work with don't, and we really have to work to unravel that and right. to see exercise as something that is a positive and not as a means to an end. Yeah. So I'm very, very conscientious of how I talk about exercise around my boys. So, yeah, I think it's really important that you said that saying I get to instead of I have to, not just what exercise, but every area of your life, that's something that you think may be hard to do, or you think is a a new adventure for you that you, maybe somebody else says, oh, I don't like that. You know, you really just have to kind of be like, no, I get to do it. Like I'm, I'm able to do this. Like I get to do it. Not that I have to do that. I think that's a huge part of it. I'm curious for you though. So if I have my mindset right and people on this podcast, they're like, I'm dedicated to doing it. Where can some people go to, you know, start lifting weights or using the TRX or doing something? What's something that you recommend to people that maybe aren't your coaching clients, but sure. someone, you know, just off the street? Like, what would you recommend to them of how to get started with like weights or something? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I usually start with body weight. If people are completely unexposed to any sort of strength training, I always start by using your own body because that in and of itself, especially in an unconditioned person, that in and of itself is going to get you somewhere. And so part of that is getting used to those movements. And I say it all the time, but there are five key foundational strength training moves that I want every person, I don't care if you're 15 or 115, there are five key moves that I feel every person should learn how to do. One, because they are functional and representative of everyday like life movement patterns, but two, they're multi-joint compound movements that involve lots of muscles and you get the most bang for your buck. So, and I'll get to those five in a second, but I think that starting with just your body weight, like anybody mm-hmm. can do a squat at home. You don't need equipment to do that. Anybody can do a push up, whether that's on your knees or on your toes. And those are foundational key moves for a reason because they right. incorporate so many muscle groups and you can get a good bang for your buck just by doing squats and push ups. Then you can get fancy and add in planks or jumping jacks or whatever. <laughs> but Honestly, if you have a body and you can count, then you can exercise, yeah. like really. And you don't even have to count. You can just go until you get tired and stop. It's fine. <laughs> but once a person is comfortable in moving their body weight, then sure, you can add implements. And if it's expensive to get dumbbells and you want to do it from home, get tubes and loops because that's an easy, cheap way to add resistance because part of the process of building muscle requires that you continually stress the muscle by adding an increased stress to it. It's progressive Mm -hmm. overload. That's the nerdy term, whatever. 
in order to do that, you have to apply an increased stress to the muscle over time. And so once you get used to your own body weight, then you make it more challenging by adding something like tubes and or loops. And you can get those on Amazon for like 10, 20 bucks and you can get a set and you can do all kinds of exercises with those. And then once you outgrow those and have reached your limit on those and those get easy, then you can add on dumbbells. And then you can, once you get to that point and the dumbbells get too heavier or too light, then you can go to barbells and plates. And that can take years. I mean, that takes years for most people to do. That does not happen overnight, but you show up, you keep putting in your reps and that happens. And then again, just to go back and finish what I started, those five key exercises are so essential. And honestly, if you wanted to do no other exercises, the five are pretty simple. They're pretty straightforward bread and butter weightlifting exercises. It's squats, deadlifts, chest press or or bench press, rows or pull-ups, and then overhead shoulder presses. So those five movements, that's it. It's not fancy. People be like, where are my bicep curls? You don't need the bicep (laughs) curls because you'll get them in the other moves. But Mm. those five moves, I tell people who have no time and I don't know what to do. Those are the five moves where you start. Because again, they're multi-joint, they're compound moves. They call in a lot of muscle groups. They're functional. Think about a squat. Think about what it takes to sit down and do a chair. Think about picking up a box. That's a deadlift. Think about reaching overhead to put your overhead stuff in the compartments when you fly. That's an overhead Mm. shoulder press. All of these things, they're all functional, key foundational movements that we are going to need as we get older. So the time to start doing those is yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, right. I know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to like put those on my list and I think we're going to do those tonight. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I mean, honestly, if if anybody asks like, where do I start? That's where you start. Very simple. That's so awesome. We talked about changing the culture on the workplaces and in the units and stuff. What do you think are some practical changes that the hospitals can actually implement in their systems to encourage clean living, more exercise, more physical fitness in their employees while they're at work. Yeah. Less meetings, less sitting meetings. I think the less, (laughs) I mean, again, one of the other components of our energy expenditure is NEAT. So the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Mm. So I'm getting really nerdy here, but that's, I I mean, that is all the non-exercise activity. And if we think about how much of our time is spent sedentary, you know, in the hospital, it's different. I mean, again, if you have people that are rounding and people that are moving and up and around, but again, for administrators where there's a lot of meetings and a lot of sitting, like take that out or have a walking meeting. How about a walking meeting? You I have an entire hospital. Wow. So walking meetings. And just again, how can we eliminate the sit down meetings? Like th- the more we do that or the more we can make walking meetings, the better. I mean, I think those would be my first two key components. And then two, wow. I think, again, I feel like this is true for anything. Walk your talk right? If you're a proponent of wellness, prove it, walk Mm -hmm. your talk and prove Mm -hmm. that you are a proponent of wellness by taking care of yourself. And that's not about being selfish. It's about taking Mm -hmm. care of your own needs. It's really difficult to take advice from somebody who's not taking care of themselves. So our administrators and the people in charge that are telling us to take care of ourselves, I would argue they should probably be taking care of themselves too and be a model. Just how I was talking about how I try to model for my kids. You know, if you want these people to do these things, model it for them, show them that you take time and maybe X out a 30 minute block of your schedule so that you can go take a walk. Oh my goodness. What would happen if that happened? So I think we need that modeled more in a hospital culture because when I was there, that was that was not it. I was part of a residency program and we did a lot of sitting in our meetings and our resident sessions and all of these things. Can we get up and move a little more? And I think just modeling that for all of the hospital staff to see, I think that 
means something. I think that means a lot. And then of course, I mean, don't even get me started on hospital food, right? I mean, that, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's another, that's another podcast in and of itself. No. But I mean, even just having these options and again, and when we do have these meetings, what kind of food are we serving? Like what is going on here? Like, yes, we don't need pizza at every meeting. How about a salad? Amen. Like what are the things that are going on here? Like if we really want to encourage clean living within the hospital system, how about we put our money where our mouth is and buy some fruit and vegetables instead of a pizza? Yes. And I get it. It may be more expensive. Maybe it's more expensive, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, there's been studies. It doesn't have to be this great big expense that we all think that it is. It is possible to buy fruit and vegetables that are not super crazy expensive. It is possible to do it. It takes effort. It takes intentionality, like you were saying, but it absolutely can be done. But if yeah. we want our staff to be healthy, we have to make it possible for them. We can't be feeding them pizza at all these meetings when they're exhausted and stressed. And the default is to reach for that. We're setting them up for failure. So yeah. I 100% agree. I could not scream that louder. I'm just sick of the the pizza and all the other things that they try to buy at the hospital whenever I'm like, I just want a fruit tray. Can you bring a fruit tray? Like, that'd mm -hmm. be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Something fresh. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed this so much. I really have learned a lot from you. And I know our listeners have learned so much. You're just a whole host of Wow, just so much knowledge and training and wealth of knowledge here. You guys listen to this episode again, pick up more tips from what Dr. Holland has said. I will put her information in the podcast notes for you to check her out online. And do you do any virtual training, like like physical stuff, or you do mostly all the coaching online? It's all coaching now. I've been fortunate enough that I've gotten so busy with the coaching that that's what I do. But it's cool because so many of my clients come to me already with an idea in mind if they want to use their Peloton or if they have an app or what have you. What's funny is that often they have it and they're not using it. And so really oh, it sure. allows us to get back to the habit science and get back to the mindset management to figure out, okay, why aren't you using it? And then we solve for that rather wow. than, okay, what should you be doing? Oftentimes they already have an idea in their mind or they've chosen something and they're not doing it. And then we get to go one step back and figure out why, solve for that, get into the mindset piece and then that's see amazing. them succeed at actually doing it. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, so no, you, yeah. you don't even need to have equipment or a specific plan in mind. If you mm -hmm. want to get in touch with Dr. Holland, she can get you on the right track. So yeah. super excited for your future and what impact you're going to make for so many lives out there. Oh. Thanks so much for being on the podcast and we will be in touch. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this uplifting journey through whole body optimism for healthcare professionals. We really hope you found this episode today as enlightening and inspiring as we did. Remember, optimism isn't just a state of mind, it's a way of life. And you have the power to shape your own destiny. Be sure to follow us on this podcast and on Instagram and Facebook to learn more about practical and simple tips to find your true whole body optimism.